Spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Super Light Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. They've designed must-have travel styles for when you need to jet. The lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit makes these shoes some of the most packable styles ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Take the Super Light Tree Runner on your next adventure. Its cushy, lightweight foam midsole supports every step, and the extra outsole traction gives you the grip to just go for it. The eucalyptus fiber upper adds next-level breathability to keep you going all day. Plus, the Super Light Tree Runner is comfortable and ready to go right out of the box. So, what can you do in a Super Light shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. Election College, Episode 51, The Election of 1936. The polls get it wrong, and FDR wins in a landslide. Let's throw a political party. Face it, the political scene sucks, but did it always? It's time for Election College, and class is in session. Now, your hosts, Jason Goff and Ben Smith. Everyone loves a good race, right? Yeah, I like... um... No, I'm not going to say that. <laughs> Start over. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, I was going to say something about NASCAR, but I couldn't bring myself to do it. <laughs> so for our listeners, everybody knows that Ben is a huge NASCAR lover. We talk about it often. Yeah, absolutely. It's pretty much my favorite thing. <laughs> and... Yeah, there's no parallel that I can make to NASCAR because I just don't follow it. Yeah, I know absolutely nothing about about racing. <laughs> but I do know a little bit about elections, and uh, that's probably a good thing since we're doing this podcast. But uh, you remember our buddy Franklin Roosevelt, right? He's uh, FDR. He is uh, he's the president, doing a decent job. Everybody likes him. Uh, the Great Depression's still going on, but he's trucking along and, uh, you know, trying to do what he can. Yeah, so back in 1932, FDR beats out Hoover. Poor guy. Gets really blamed for the Great Depression. (laughs) And uh, people don't really know what Roosevelt's going to do as president. He's a pretty charismatic guy. They think, yeah, it's time for a change. Let's elect him. And He gets in office and he figures out what he's going to do. And really the biggest thing that he does is really big. And that is the implementation of the New Deal. Jason, I thought it was interesting what you just said there because I want to just highlight it for our listeners. You said not only do people not know what he's going to do, but FDR figures out what he's going to do after he gets in office. And that's very much the case <laughs> because FDR ran on this idea of giving people a new deal and letting people come back from the depression that's going on. And meanwhile, he's like, I don't really know how I'm going to do that, but I'm going to do it. And so he gets in office and says, let's give the people a new deal. Uh, hey, um, friends, people who are part of my little party of people (laughs) 
what do you want to do as far as um, you know getting this place back on track? Probably the best thing that you can do when you don't know exactly what you're going to do, but it is something new and it's a deal, is to follow the three R's, right? And the three R's of the New Deal were relief, recovery, and reform. So they really wanted to have relief for the unemployed and poor, recovery of the economy to normal levels, and reform of the financial system really to prevent another depression. Right. And Roosevelt, being a smart man, at least by my estimation uh, in many respects, puts together a brain trust. and. It's kind of an informal group, but it's definitely a group of people who are his advisors. And he uh, he sits down and says, I trust you. We need to figure out uh, where things are going from here. And they pretty much say, not only do we need to get the people who want to work back on track, we need to get the people who can no longer work and who would no longer have jobs back on track. And so let's just create some policies that um, will put that into place for them. Yeah. So historians have distinguished several different aspects of the New Deal. And the first aspect is what occurred in the first couple of years of the FDR administration. And that was called the First New Deal. (laughs) Go figure. (laughs) And so really the First New Deal wasn't too controversial And we'll get into that just a little bit about how the different parties felt about that. But it primarily dealt with the pressing banking crisis. And they implemented the Emergency Banking Act and the Federal Emergency Relief Administration, which provided 50, no, I'm sorry, $500 million for relief operations by cities and states. And then you had the Civil Works Administration. Uh, it's also called the CWA because if you're in the New Deal, everything has <laughs> initials, right? Yeah, everything's in an acronym or whatever it's called. Yeah. And the CWA gave localities money to operate. And a lot of the buildings that we see today, I know in my hometown or in the county where my hometown is, there are several schools that are that were built as a result of this. The schools look identical to each other, and um, it's kind of cool that something from the early 30s is still standing and is still being used. And that that was something that was the fruit of the CWA. So we've got the first New Deal, which, like Jason said, is not terribly controversial. And later we're going to see, I I assume if we call something the first New Deal, we have to have something called the second New Deal. But we'll get into that at a future date. So anyway, maybe we should get back into into some politics stuff, right? Some some election happenings. Yeah, let's not get too ugly there, Ben. Yeah, well, okay, fine. President Roosevelt was... uh, like I said, pretty popular. He did have one opponent within the Democratic Party. And really, uh, the reason that he has this opponent is because he is anti-New Deal. His name is Henry Skillman Breckenridge. And he's pretty much just, uh, well, you could call him a favorite son. He's a guy who's been around. He's been in politics. He's been in the offices. He was the former Assistant Secretary of War. And uh, he decides he wants to run against him in four different primaries. And he wants to get mentioned in 
election college podcast. Right. So yep. uh-huh. there he is, Henry Skillman Breckenridge. Here you are, and you lose. <laughs> because you're okay. running against FDR in the Democratic primary. Yeah. Yeah, you don't have much of a chance at this point in time. <laughs> so they, of course, pretty much, um, pretty much decidedly nominate FDR to be the nominee. But the Republican Party is a little more split. Yeah. So the Republicans, of course, they really got nailed in the last election. I mean, you've got Hoover who said that he was going to bring an end to poverty, or at least we were really close to being completely done with poverty. And then the Great Depression happens and he loses big time. So out of that comes a lot of different philosophies and you actually are beginning to see some of the origins of what it means to be uh, liberal in the Republican party and, and the more setting in of what it means to be conservative. So anyway, uh, the 1936 Republican national convention happens. Yeah. So we've got the governor of Kansas. His name is Alf Landon. Alf, you know, you know that guy, right? Uh, we've got yes, Senator William My wife Bora. is always talking about Alf. Yeah? Yeah. Like your family, they would watch Alf. Huh. I don't think I've ever heard her discuss Alf. Yeah. Huh. What did Alf say? <laughs> Lots of things. <laughs> He's pretty much a centrist. Um, he he really respects FDR, actually. Um, but he's going to tick off some of the conservative elements of the party. Yeah, didn't he actually uh, nominate, or I'm sorry, not nominate, but endorse FDR in FDR's first election? Yeah. Yeah, 1932, you got Alf waving the FDR flag. Crazy. It's a little different. Can't believe it. Uh, you've also got Senator William Bora of Idaho, and they're kind of the two front-runner candidates. You've got a few others who are maybe favorite sons or they're prominent in in the party. But for the most part, you're looking at Alf Landon and William Bora as serious contenders. Yeah, you had uh, Frank Knox, who was a publisher from Illinois. He was seen as a strong candidate, but he was like, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna support this Landon guy. Let's see what happens. Landon taps governor of New Hampshire, uh, Styles Bridges, which is an awesome name, by the way. <laughs> Knox decides, hey, yeah, I'll uh, I'll be VP. That sounds good. Yeah, why not? So you've got a couple of other nominations, and uh, I know we always mention the socialists and the the other parties that are going on at the time, but it's kind of interesting in this in this particular instance because you have almost the start of a new party happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Share Our Wealth program was, uh, well, it's what it sounds like. It's a socialist program that uh, people, of course, at the time especially thought it sounded great because it's the Great Depression. <laughs> so yeah. you like the idea of sharing your wealth, but uh, they almost turn it into a political party. Huey Long is a Democratic senator from Louisiana, and he wants to run alongside this Share Our Wealth program. But there's a problem with that. Yeah, I had no idea about this, Ben, before this podcast. Did you? Yeah, I did. Only because this was like my uh, favorite history teacher's favorite era. So I used to (laughs) hear a lot about this era. Yeah, so you've got Long, 
and he's very much opposed <laughs> to uh, the Democratic Party line, right? Uh-huh. And he's like, I'm going to run for president. And about a month later, he gets shot. Yeah, assassinated even, I suppose you could say at this point. Is there a, a candidate for... What is that distinction? Murdered and assassinated. I, I I don't know, because isn't the definition of murder something like you have an intent to kill a particular person? Yeah, I think everyone who's murdered is assassinated in some way. So all assassinations are murders, but are all murders assassinations? I don't know. Huh, interesting. It's really well, sad because anyway. his last words were, God, don't let me die. I have so much to do. Right. Ugh. That's depressing for sure. Um, their their idea was that they were going to actually run and split the left wing vote with President Roosevelt. They thought that they could give enough support from the left wing that, hey, we don't, FDR is not going to win. And then the Republicans would win and have um, have a new president in town. But then Long was going to wait at four years and run for a president as a Democrat in 1940. So they had this all kind of planned out, mapped out, schemed out, I guess you could say. But then, like we said, Long was assassinated. And uh, shortly later, two of the senators who were involved in this, um, you know, one of them was diagnosed with stomach cancer. And it was terminal, so that didn't work out either. Yeah, and I guess all of this does merit the mention of Father Charles Coughlin. He was a Catholic priest and a talk show host, kind of like the, I don't even know who to compare him to, but he was a very um, popular, populist talk radio personality. And... He allied himself with Dr. Francis Townsend, who was a left-wing political activist, and he was really trying to push for the creation of an old-age pension system, which we can talk about later yeah. in future yeah, exactly. episodes. So, uh, you know, it, it's easy to write off a third party and say, well, you know, there, oh, there's your token socialist or there's your token libertarian. But a lot of times, what is a major part of their platform does influence or even become a part of uh, mainstream policy. Absolutely, yeah. It's um, it's not the last time we'll see that either. You haven't seen the rest of me, Gadget. <laughs> so, should we talk about the campaign? Well, before we talk about that, Jason, why don't we go take just a little break? So, Ben, as many audience members know, I'm involved in social media. You're involved in podcasting. I'm involved in podcasting. You're involved in social media. We do this type of thing for a living. That's right. And we have a lot of people. Uh, I've been helping a few people in my personal life, but also as part of some different interactions um, professionally to work out ways that you can be better at social media and podcasting and even use them in conjunction with each other. So we just want to let everybody know that Jason and I do 
private consulting. We do some podcast consulting. We do some social media consulting. And if you want to be like us, which is to say super cool, send us an email. Yeah, just email info at electioncollege.com. We will be in touch. We do everything from branding to consulting to making you look like a rock star in the digital space. All right, Jason. So the campaign, what's what's a really important thing to do if you are running for president? Well, the first thing you do after you get nominated by your major political party uh-huh. is to chill out. <laughs> just disappear. <laughs> just kind of uh, go off and don't make any appearances and, uh-huh. um, you know. Live it up. I mean, I, I, I think that's a, just a way of saying, hey, you arrived. Right. Yeah. Landon, after he was nominated for two months, he made no campaign appearances. It was it was even so bad that there was a columnist for a newspaper, obviously, who wrote something to the effect of I won't read it exactly. But everyone's confused about where he went. The Missing Persons Bureau actually sent out an alarm about it. So it was pretty serious that they're like half the country you could pretty much say is looking for this candidate to talk to them and tell them what he's all about. You you know, you've got at least half the other half the country that that's already decided on FDR, but the Republican candidates just like disappears. (laughs) And part of the problem was, or maybe not problem, but he just respected and admired Roosevelt. He, he liked him. He respected a lot of the new new deal he had a few problems with the things here and there, but he just probably didn't want to attack them, I guess. So have you ever had that happen to you, Ben, where you get nominated for some sort of office? and For president, yeah. I've been yeah. dozens of times now. <laughs> this has happened uh, a couple of times, you know, where you get appointed to be a leader or um, you're on a board or something like that. and It, it seems really mm-hmm. cool, but then you realize... Oh, there's responsibility. Right. Oh, you actually have to do stuff. So I wonder, I'm sure that Landon, I mean, he's led the state of Kansas for many years and he knows what it means to be a chief executive, but maybe it was one of those things where it's just like, yay, I'm the Republican candidate. Oh, that's right. I'm running against Roosevelt. Yeah, that's kind of a... A damper on your day when you realize I am probably not going to win. Uh, something that <laughs> something that's really interesting. We've we've talked a little tiny bit about pre polling uh, before before this election, but we haven't really talked extensively about the Literary Digest poll, uh, which was a poll that had run for years, and they would poll the country basically, and kind of like we see today's Gallup polls. Uh, they would run and predict elections and tell you where everybody was standing. And this was a really interesting election for them. Yeah. So they really had done a good job. The winner of the last five elections, they predicted. And in the October 31st issue, they said Landon would be the winner with 370 electoral votes. Yeah, they actually sent out about 10 million questionnaires and got about 2.3 million back, which 23% on 10 million is a phenomenal return from what I understand about surveys. But they basically didn't correct their sample well enough. And what I mean by that is 
more Republicans at this point in time, at least, had subscribed to the Literary Digest than Democrats had. So, of course, they're going to be skewed towards Landon over Roosevelt because of the simple party lines. And they kind of base their decision on a skewed sample. Yeah, and there was nothing requiring uh, a response. So it was based on whoever is actually going to fill out the the thing. (laughs) They're going to fill out the questionnaire and they're going to send it in. So this is not, in official poll terms, a a, a real random sample. And this kind of got me thinking, Ben, because we actually had a pretty big election in my home state of Kentucky in 2015, where the polls were way off. And as a matter of fact, so the Republican ended up winning, but even the Republican pollsters were off. And I wonder if this shift in, you know, in the early thirties, you might've had, you know, so many, uh, well, in this case, it was the pool of subscribers skewed Republican, but what about all of these people who are, under, do you want to say under 40 years old, maybe under 35 years old, where so many people don't even have a landline. How are pollsters getting in touch with the younger demographic? I don't know. I'm sure that uh, somebody out there would be able to educate us a little bit on how they're able to get an effective sampling. But the latest uh, election that I have seen really got it wrong. And I mean, we're talking eight percentage points. Wow. Yeah, that is a lot. It also makes me think, Jason, they talk a lot about how, and this is might be a little more modern day than what we're dealing with in this election that we're talking about now. But they also talk about how polls sometimes actually influence the actual election. Sometimes it makes people want to vote for the candidate who is already leading because they want to be on the side of the winners, which is a natural human instinct. You don't want to be on the side of the losers. And sometimes it makes people want to go out and vote for their candidate if they find out they're losing. Sometimes it makes people not want to go out and vote because they find out their candidate is going to win by a landslide. And so in this particular instance, I wonder, there's obviously no way to tell, how many people saw this literary digest, a dependable source at the time, say, yeah, Landon's going to win by a lot. And they say, eh, okay, cool. I don't need to vote. Right. So, I mean, I, I really doubt it would have swayed things that much as we'll find out the, the, uh, end result here, but it is interesting to postulate kind of one of those, what would have happened if, or alternate history kind of things would be fun to speculate. Yeah. So if you're looking at doing a new method of polling, go out there, be confident, get a random sample and do what George Gallup does. And what he does is he's an ad exec and he does the scientific poll. He predicts that Roosevelt would win the election. He takes this, the scientific poll. Did I say scientifica? You said, you said scientifica. <laughs> so the scientific poll was based on a sample of 50,000 people. And he predicts that the Literary Digest would mispredict the results. And what ends up happening is, should we give it away? I think so. FDR wins big time 
And George Gallup wins big time as well, because we all know about the Gallup poll now. Yeah, absolutely. We know all about the Gallup poll now, and we would not think this is off topic for a conversation about presidential elections because it's mentioned constantly, daily now, uh, with 24-hour news. But Gallup becomes the leading poll in the country, and actually, uh, unfortunately for them, the Literary Digest, this really hurt them, and they disappear pretty yeah. quickly after that. See you later. And I don't know. I do kind of pay attention to the Gallup polls, I have to admit. But you know what, Ben? 2016, I'm not really listening to the polls too much. Nice. So there you go. Don't All listen to the polls because <laughs> I've got history to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So Roosevelt doesn't just win, like Jason says. He wins by a landslide. And I mean, we've said, oh, they won by a landslide. Oh, they they really creamed the competition. No, Roosevelt destroyed the land. And <laughs> he won 46 of the 48 states. Yeah, he wins the largest number of electoral votes up to that point. And the only two states that Landon gets are Maine and Vermont. It's kind of funny because up to this point, some would say, as Maine goes, so goes the nation. Uh-huh. Um, actually, as Maine goes, so goes Vermont. Yeah, absolutely. So, I guess, I guess that's it. We have FDR still in the White House. We've got John Nance Garter still as the VP, and uh, Alf Landon and Frank Knox not so much. Yeah, Landon goes back to Kansas does his thing, and it's kind of interesting. Uh, His daughter actually is still alive, and she was a senator from Kansas. And again, we're getting closer and closer and closer to the present. Hey, you know how you can go out and uh, show you, like, it's almost like a poll. You can show your support for Election College by leaving us an iTunes review. It's a rockin', kickin', Awesome thing to do is to take that 30 to 45 seconds to open up the iTunes app, which you probably already did if you're listening to us, and leave us a star rating. Do you use do you use the iTunes app, Jason? Yeah. yeah. I love it. I use Overcast. I like it. But I also, in the past, have used the iTunes app. That's, that's totally neither here nor there. But I just wanted to mention it because in the Overcast app, if you're listening to us on Overcast, which I know many of you are looking at our statistics, uh, just go into Overcast and you can actually recommend Election College on Twitter to your friends on Twitter uh, in the Overcast app, which is awesome. Uh, it'll just show up there in the recommendations on Overcast. So didn't even think of that till just now, but go do that. That's a really good idea. I, I, I'm such a simple, I, I, a simpleton. <laughs> I'm such a simple. <laughs> I just like the one button yeah. with Apple, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm we, not, we can't I all be advanced. advanced. Yeah, we can't all be advanced. That's fine, Jason. Don't worry. I like the button. <laughs> Don't forget to follow us um, on the internet, not in real life, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. <laughs> Uh, that would mean a lot to us. You can find us at Election College, all those places, as well as electioncollege.com. Hey, everybody. I hope you have an 
awesome rest of your day, and we will see you next time for the election of 1940. Bye. We've also got uh, a couple other people who were maybe favorite sons or other things. Hey, hold on a second. I'm going to go. I think Egan's awake running around and Emily's asleep. So hold on a second. I'll be right back. This is the part of the podcast that Ben edits out. It is the part of the podcast that he edits. He edits out all my singing and my dancing. And it does sound like Egan is in the background. It is the part of the podcast that Ben edits out. It is the part of the podcast that he edits. If he kept it in, nobody would listen. And so he's cutting out Alf Landon. He's from Kansas. He likes tuna fish sandwiches and spam yeah he was up running around he couldn't find Emily (laughs)